Hey everyone, welcome to the Curious Girl Diaries podcast. I'm Layla London, aka The Curious Girl. Now just to let you know, this podcast is not suitable for work. It's also not suitable for anybody under 18. But the rest of you consenting adults, let's get ready to talk about my sex life, sex in general, and everything in between in explicit, raunchy, fun detail. All right, here we go. Are you saying you think yours is filthier than mine? I think that we're probably around the same, you know, on the filthometer. On the (laughs) filthometer. So I was already a hoe, Uh and it made me like a really, 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 really big hoe. (laughs) But I was already pretty fucking intense. Well, see, I'm more of like, let's see, four for me, one for you. Four for me, one for you. (laughs) But I have a short refractory period, and I'm multi-orgasmic. I can't get down with the guy that I'm not attracted to. I call that ugly fucking. I don't want to ugly fuck. Here's an interesting fact on this year's sex bucket list is I want to fuck a guy with an uncut dick. And I am hard pressed to find one. No, what I want done, I know when the fuck I want it done, and then shit better be done. There's going to be some consequences and repercussions. I'm the same way. <laughs> but in the bedroom, I'm like, oh my God, tie me up and spank me. <laughs> totally. Like, I don't want to think about it. That's your job. You did the heavy lifting. Welcome to the Curious Girl Diaries podcast. I am Layla. Well, it's another Saturday episode, and you know what that means. I have a great guest on. Today's guest is Devannon, and Devannon Hubert is the author of Sex, Drugs, and Jesus, a memoir about his struggles with drug addiction, homelessness, serving in the armed forces, and HIV plus diagnosis, rejection from his church for his sexuality. And of course, Devannon is also the host of a podcast. His podcast is called Sex, Drugs, and Jesus. And he's also the owner of Down Under Apparel. All right, Devannon, that's you're a busy guy. Welcome to the Curious Girl Diaries podcast. Bitch, as they say, a hustler's work is never through. No shit. Damn, I'm feeling really like I'm, I need to step it up. I'm like, Jesus, I'm not doing enough. <laughs> this guy's running circles around me. I just feel like, oh my God, you know, I've got my podcast. That's so much work. Look at you go. Good for you. Well, thank you, Sugar. Thank you so much for having me on your show today. I've been looking forward to it. It's very rare that I find a show host that has just about as dirty of a mouth as I do. And so I'm looking forward oh. to filth. You think yours is, are you saying you think yours is filthier than mine? I think that we're probably around the same, you know, on the filthometer. On the <laughs> filthometer. All right. And so where are we on the filthometer then? Like 10 plus? Oh, through the roof. Yeah, <laughs> we I know. Well, you know that just strictly the name of your podcast, when I saw it, Sex, Drugs, and Jesus, I was like, oh, hello. That's all I needed to know. Like, you had me at Sex, Drugs, and Jesus. I'm like, I have to have this man on my show. Well, I titled it that that in my memoir, that because I thought to myself, oh shit, it's true to the story. It's true to what drives us in life. We're all sexual. Drugs represents our desire to reach beyond ourselves, be it with actual drugs or whatever kind of way, be it going to a movie, getting on a roller coaster. Then Jesus represents our search for hidden truths and search for a power higher than ourselves, yeah. not even truth, but, but yeah. our search for a higher power. Yes. Well, so 
let's kind of like, let's, let's start at the beginning here. So what made you d- decide to start a podcast and write a book? Well, I started taking notes on the memoir back in 2013, right after I just got done being homeless. It just seemed like it made sense. You know, I understand that I wasn't delivered from all that I was delivered to, to just sit on it and be quiet and have me a quiet little happy life somewhere, you know. With a white like, picket fence. <laughs> right. Like, thanks, Jesus, for the help. Now I won't tell anyone what you did. Yeah. You know, so a book is better than standing up in church to do a testimony. You know, the words never really came to me to do that back in the day when I used to go to physical churches. And so, I think a book is better. And the same thing about the podcast, you know, because once the show is cut, it's released, it's there forever. Uh, The book is the same way. So as long as the earth spins, then these things will always be there to help people. And so the podcast and the book are living, breathing testimony. I know. It's really kind of interesting. I mean, think about this, like what we're doing now, these podcasts, they could be listened to hundreds and hundreds of years. They're kept properly, which I'm sure they will be. It'll be out there forever, really infinitely, which is quite, mm-hmm. quite interesting <laughs> to think about this. I wonder if people are still going to have the same like problems and taboos around sex. If they're still on earth, then yes, they, they will be. Because when you read back in history, it was the same thing. You had people doing fucked up shit. <laughs> yeah. You know, needing deliverance and help. And so the beat goes on till the world, so the world turns. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then I guess we're always going to, you and I are always going to have something to talk about then. So how did you pick the name for your book and your, I mean, obviously the book and the podcast name were synonymous. How did you pick that? That's fabulous. I love it. I wanted them to be the same because, well, shit. I mean, those three things are just like the pillars that I think all of life is built upon. And when you think of a good story, a good movie that you've watched, a good show that you've seen, you always see some type of sexual situation. Yeah. And you always see some sort of some sort of something that's exciting, you know, you know, be it drugs or whatever. There has to be some sort of excitement and also something that's meaningful and connects you to connects you to something greater than yourself, which is like the Jesus part. What show about drugs, for instance, has ever flopped? Narcos, Breaking Bad. Right. Weeds. Yeah, uh, Weeds. I love that one. That was great. Right? Oh, my God. None of them. Everyone's like, give us more seasons. Give us more seasons. Everyone wants to hear about the dirty shit that they're not willing to do themselves. Yeah. Yeah. tell anyone that they've done it. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like, and also Ozark. Are you, do you watch that? Girl, I've, I've seen it. I, but when I've, since I've been writing this book, I don't have time to watch but a handful of things. So that's true. <laughs> I'm going to get to it. It's on my list. And I heard about euphoria being good too. So I know there's a lot of good stuff. So you say that discovering your sexuality as a young man in the South and then being rejected by your church led to a downward spiral. Let's talk about that. Kind of take me through that. Okay, so growing up Pentecostal, which I do not recommend the Pentecostal church, you know, I'm hearing about everything's bad. Dancing's bad. Masturbation's bad. You give it, you give it no stars. I give it negative 100 stars. Okay. <laughs> That's your official Yelp review of the Pentecostal church. <laughs> leave, it on, leave it on gay.com. <laughs> Gay.com did a lot for me back in the day. You got a lot of miles out of (laughs) gay.com. Oh, yeah, I did. 
And so, yeah, so that's where I got the understanding that there was something wrong with me. It started in the church to begin with, because we're not born thinking that we're fucked up. So we have to tell us that and we have to make a conscious decision that whoever told us that must be right and we must be wrong. And then we go about the business of becoming insecure and disliking ourselves and loathing ourselves all because of what some human told us. Right. That's where that started. Now I'll give the Pentecostals this. It was full of gay people, usually the pianists, the organists, but they never would throw anybody out. That shit never happened until I got to Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas. Um, I had applied for a job there. And in the midst of them researching me, prayerfully considering, as they call it, you know, they had to, of course, do a social media search because the two or three years that I had been volunteering, there wasn't a sufficient evidence of my work ethic. They had to ask my space, you know, which oh. clearly which clearly was truer than, you know, right. my <laughs> they had to ask my space. <laughs> And so, so I had a really, really naughty photo on there because me and my friend had got tipsy one time and we did some photos and it was me in like a cowboy hat and underwear and I was looking fabulous. And so I put the fucking picture on there. So they found the picture, they passed it around to the staff members at Lakewood and everything like that. And then they called me in there. Well, first they, they let me know that they wanted to meet with me and I had that feeling. You know, you have that feeling with some bullshit's about to go down. Yeah. Was yeah. Like, I was like, am I in trouble in the, the bitch at church lodge? He's like, no, we just want to have a talk. So I go up there on a Saturday to volunteer as I always did with my uniform on and everything. And they're like, we found your pictures on MySpace. We can't believe that you've been doing this. You can't be doing, I never forget the words that that bitch said. She was like, you can't be doing that, hanging out there with them, referring to the gay people in Montrose, the gay district of Houston, Texas. She talked about me and my people like we were less than human and everything like that. And you know the bitch like that has never been to a gay pride or anything. She's making all of these conclusions on her own. Right. So they fired me from volunteering. I was volunteering. I was teaching in the kids' ministry. I was a volunteer supervisor. I was singing in the adult choir, and I was also a worship leader with the kids as well. About at least 10 hours a week, I was up there. And they were like, you're fired. We found your MySpace page. But they did offer me a conversion therapy package. Oh, (laughs) at your expense. (laughs) <laughs> well, they had already, I think, procured the books. They bought them to the meeting. Uh-huh. And they were like, we want you to read these books. And they said, you can become an usher if you want to, but you can't do any of the other things. And then you can hopefully work your way back up. <laughs> but you have to become ungay and by reading these books. <laughs> you have to become ungay. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you say? Nothing. I think I tried to say like one or two things and they just shut it down. They didn't, they were not interested in hearing my perspective, my side, none of it. This was already determined and they were, they were angry. They felt as though I had done something to hurt them personally. And they were just offended, deeply offended that I was paying out Montrose. But you know, churches like to control people. I mean, they just do. They want to control like your personal life, where you're going, what you're not doing when you're there and all kinds of stuff. And I'm all like, okay, that's so not Jesus though. He never dominated people like that. You know, you know, and he hung out with everybody. Now, just because you have millions and millions of dollars and an image, what they're really trying to do is reinforce their brand so they don't lose money. Right. <laughs> That's what it all boils down to. Yeah. They're trying to say it's in the name of Jesus and righteousness. And they basically said I was a pedophile and I couldn't be around the kids. And I'm all like, OK, you, you have to do like a whole background check just short of fingerprints and everything just to volunteer in that fucking right. church. They got your whole fucking life history on file. Why in the hell would you go in there to commit a fucking crime like that? You could go somewhere obscure. Right. You know, the public fucking church in the country. (laughs) 
What did you think when they said, when they used that, when they called you a pedophile? Is that what they, did they actually say pedophile? They didn't use the P word, honey, but okay. When they're basically saying like, you can't be hanging around the kids anymore. We already know what this means. Right. Okay. Because if, if I was a straight man and I had went and had an affair somewhere, they would not have fired me from being around children. No. <laughs> right. They wouldn't have done that. If I would have robbed a bank, they would have been like, oh, we'll just pray for you. They wouldn't have said that. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have said that at all. And so, I, I mean, I was crushed. I mean, I, I wouldn't cry in front of those bitches because I would refuse to show weakness to them. I absolutely refused. Yeah. And I, and I thought to myself, I can either beat their fucking asses and go to jail or walk out. Those are the only two options. And so I just got up and walked the fuck out. And they were confused. That was the last thing I saw was the look on their faces. There's two people there, the adult choir pastor and then the, the bitch over like the, the kids ministry. And they just looked at each other like they were just flabbergasted that I didn't take their conversion therapy package. <laughs> 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 and okay, but so from there, you said you went, started like a chain reaction, sounds like. Right. Yeah. Looking back on it, I, what I, see, what I lost that day was a sense of my humanity and also my community. I didn't realize how much we as people seek out community, be it wherever. So it could be in a in a brothel, you could be selling your body somewhere, maybe a drug dealer. I mean, you could be you you're on your job. We always seek community, or as, or as it is said, no man is an island. Right. And so that night, I went out to the clubs, and I went out with it with the intention of, well, you know what, I'm going to go and find. I'm going to go to a place where I know I'm not going to be judged. And so, and that's where it began. So I was traumatized by that, but I didn't realize it. And then I was angry about that shit for years and years and years and years and years. And I didn't fully understand just how extreme my personality is and stuff like that because, you know, I'm young, you know, I'm in my probably like mid-20s around this time, still developing, although I thought I was grown, I was not. And so, yeah, and so then I did, I'm, you know, ended up moving to Montrose, then a guy offered me drugs. Now, guys that be offer, offering me drugs off and on all of my like life. But I always told them, no, but, you know, I had to be at church and stuff like that. Or I had a job where I had to get drug tested. Well, when he offered me this, I had a job where I didn't, where I wasn't getting drug tested because it was a union job. And then I was, then I didn't have any church to go to and I was bitter at them. And so I rebelled and I, and I was definitely acting out. So I was like, you know, fuck you. I'm going to be bad now. You know, there's no reason for me to be good anymore. And so, so I started taking drugs, you know, when he offered me that ecstasy pill. And then it went down from there. (laughs) Then it it just kind of kept escalating because you you say that you went on to crystal meth at some point. See, cocaine. I I say meth for last because it's very interesting the way I did it. It's like I was trying to make... Well, your teeth still look good, so I'm going to assume that wasn't something you entertained for too long. Oh, hell yeah. I entertained it for a really long time, but not everyone looks at their teeth. I see that a lot in... I see teeth falling out a lot in white people, and then I see like, <laughs> for, for the meth. But then when it's crack, I see a lot of crack falling out. The teeth, teeth, teeth falling out in people who use a lot of crack. Okay, and, you know, and so I don't know if it's the race thing or what. I'm just telling you what I've observed. Yeah, some people's skin gets fucked up. Mine's it was in my stomach. I have a very nervous stomach, and so then when it came to a point where I was doing it too much, it would really upset my stomach and stuff like that, and it was just a very bad smelling, you know, situation. Yeah. You know, and so fix everybody so differently. I saved meth for last. I was like, I'm not going to do that drug. I'm just going to do like the cocaine, the ecstasy. And then one weekend, 
I was just like, I met a guy on Adam for Adam. And I was like, you know, he had, fuck it, you know, let's just try it. That became my general attitude. It went from like, no, you know, I'm going to be serving the Lord and everything like that. So I have these boundaries that I'm just not going to cross. Once that was taken from me, I was like, fuck it. Everything I used to say no to, I started saying yes to. I didn't go and seek out the drugs, but whenever a guy bought it to me, I was like, you know what? Sure. Why not? Yes. Did you, and did you, I'm curious at this time too, did you then become, was there a higher level of just casual sex or promiscuity or anything like that? Were you just like on the same note, note, like, well, fuck it. They think if I'm a bad gay, I'm going to be the, I'm going to be a bad gay, a bad person or whatever. However, however they labeled you, did you start going like down all those rabbit holes? Like, oh, I'll show them what a bad version of me is. Well, I was already a slut to begin with. You okay. know, I love, I'd love me some delicious dick since the time I was 19. Okay. And I was like, like I said, in my mid-20s when all of this here started to transpire. But the thing about drugs, though, and especially meth, is that they is that it tends to increase the sex drive. So I was already a hoe. Uh-huh. And it made me like a really, 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 really big hoe. <laughs> but I was already pretty fucking intense anyway. Yeah. You know, I'm a, I'm a true Sagittarius in that respect. I tend to burn the the candle at both ends. Don't know when to quit. Too much is never enough. And then when everybody else is thinking I'm going too far, then bitch, I'm going to go a hundred more miles further because I'm trying to just burn it to shit down. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So how did this, like, give me an example, like, tell me how you were fueling this higher sex drive. I mean, what were your outlets for it? Well, because you know, so I like was, to talk about sex, so I just have to get into this this part a lot. Well, since I live in Montrose, it was super easy. You know, all the gay guys are there, and the apps are just like packed full of people. So, mm-hmm. uh, if I'm at work, I'm on there lining up dick, got it waiting for me when I get back from my apartment. If I'm at the club, I live across the street from the clubs. Oh. Now, so, you know, hey, you know, come on back over here. So there was just like all kinds of sex all the time, three ways, orgies are happening, you know, and shit like that. You, you know, and you had meth in the mix and now we got the pornos playing 24-7 at the apartment, everything like that, because all you want to do is fuck all the time when you're yeah. high on meth. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I did not know this about meth. Little there we go. Okay. Good to know. See, I always learn something. I always learn something. And how many, because I read at one point in your book, which we'll get to, that you, at one point you said you had like 180 guys, but then you were keeping notes, but then you stopped. And do you know roughly where that number ended or is at this point? Yeah. So that was back when I was at first lost my virginity. And just like the extreme Sagittarius I am, I decided to just run shit into the ground. I'm like, I found this thing and it's good. Let me do it as much as I possibly can. I didn't understand the concept of uh, restraint or perhaps here a little, there a little, you know, no, I want it all. Yes. <laughs> so, I like to sit on every dick in Tucson. I was like, <laughs> did, did, so. did you? Did you sit on Damn every dick? Near, almost. <laughs> <laughs> and so for whatever fucking reason, I decided to get out a notebook and started keeping tabs. It became like a game. Yeah. You know, how many guys can I get tonight? <laughs> so, Seriously. What's your record in one night? What's your record? Okay, I'll say it like this. I've been in the room with anywhere from like maybe three to 20 guys at one time. And so... And and you were with all of them? 
okay, half the time I was high on like meth. Let me see if I can remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the thing about the damn drug, like when I would do it, it might be fun. It might not be fun. I can't recall half of what the fuck I did. Oh, damn. I want the details. <laughs> <laughs> but certainly when it was just like maybe three or four guys, then yeah, I had sex with all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then, so you're going through this phase and is it fair to say that it's like just, I mean, you were, you were hypersexual at that point. I was hypersexual. And I think, oh, oh, to answer your question, how many guys probably have I been with today? Probably well into the thousands easily. And I, I was seeking their masculine attention. You know, me and my dad have always had a rocky relationship because he wanted me to be this masculine straight dude and that just wasn't going to happen. And so yeah. then, of course, he had a couple of affairs and, you know, you know, shit. I just had a terrible household. I, and so, I read that part in your book where your mom pulled, pulled you up to the, I think, the first affairs house and was like, this is the family you almost torn apart. And she was like, oh, I just imagine her like, bitch. <laughs> I didn't believe, looking back on it, girl, <laughs> what you supposed to do if you know where the bitch lives who screwed your husband and you're going to take the whole crew over there, <laughs> then we should have gotten out and beat her ass. Don't just go and cuss her out. <laughs> so Follow true. through. Bring the bats with the nails and the end is of them and all of that shit. Beat is her this the proper way to handle it? Right. Physical <laughs> 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 You're allowed to beat up the bitch who fucked your husband. Yeah. I always uh, <laughs> you to beat up the bitch that fucked your husband. <laughs> you know what I always thought, or I still think actually, it's like, I always wonder like, why? Now, are your parents still married before I say this? Yeah. They are? I don't fucking know why, but yeah, they okay. are. Okay. So, and I'm not saying this, I'm not saying this towards your mom. I, I just, in general, will say like, if a woman's with a man who's habitually cheating on her, why she gets like, why would you go up and want to beat up the woman who all these women, it's like, why are you fighting for this doofus? You know, this, he's like the booby prize. You're like fighting to defend the fucking booby prize. Like kick his ass to the curb. If he can't, you know, if he can't keep it in his pants. I mean, ultimately I'm like, that's just, I'm just saying this in general for, for all women. Like if you're if you feel like you got to fend off women left, right, and center to keep to keep your get your man to keep his dick in his pants, you got to ask yourself like, why are you picking this fool? Like, really, kids, no kids, I don't care. Like, kick his ass to the curb. Good news, Strictly Anonymous podcast is looking for people to call into the show. So, if you lead an interesting, naughty secret life that you want to talk about while remaining anonymous or not anonymous, if you're out and proud, that's cool too. Send me an email, strictly anonymous podcast at gmail.com. That's strictly anonymous podcast at gmail.com. Or go to my website, strictly anonymous podcast.com and click on be on the show. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I'm so sad it has to end. Are you craving more content with me? Don't worry, I've got you covered. Go even deeper with me on my private podcast. You get four additional episodes a month published every Friday, revealing outtakes from my super private personal audio journal, things said after the show but when I'm still recording, the inside scoop on who's been naughty and who's been naughtier, bombshells I've kept to myself this whole entire time, things I can only talk about with a more intimate group of listeners, and additional surprise bonus content so hot it makes even me blush. So when you finish this episode and you're still craving more, please allow me to satiate you. Just head over to thecuriousgirldiaries.com and click on exclusive or click on the link in the show notes. All right, on with the show. All right, I said my piece. I, I concur. And I think that she would have done herself a better service. 
I would have been in a better household had she left. But, you know, we're a creature of habit. Yeah. We like shit to stay the same. And, and a lot of women are just, she probably had her own father fractures and issues with her own dad that were never resolved. Yeah. From what I gather from the way her dad was, the way my mom's dad was. And so, so she had a fucked up relationship with her dad. So now she's in a fucked up relationship with her husband. <laughs> from what I understand, the previous marriage before this husband, that one was abusive. Mm. And so now I'm out in the street seeking masculine confirmation in the hands of whatever strange man I can get on. Yeah. You know, I wanted their masculine embrace. And I knew it when I was doing it. I was like, I really need their masculine energy. Yeah. You know, I wanted to feel confirmed and loved by a guy. And that was something that I never got from my dad. Yeah. Wow. I mean, isn't it interesting? See, this is why I wanted to focus too a lot on the sex because it's such a big part of who we are as people. And, you know, one of the things that also drew me to you and wanting to have you on is, you know, that you, you, you're you just like me where you're like, fuck it, we're going to talk about this taboo shit. We're kind of sick of it. We're kind of over it. And let's just blow the roof off of it. And one of the things is I just don't think people are really in touch with how much a big component their sexuality is and also how detrimental it can, you know, the things we'll do to ourselves sexually that are detrimental. Just like you said, because of your relationship with your dad and wanting that sexual energy and craving it, you know, you're going to go out and try to find it sexually, which may not always end up being, you know, I'm sure it's fair to say that that wasn't like the healthiest way to go about. I mean, it's probably fun. There's probably some fun in it. And, you know, and certainly I'll put myself, you know, I mean, I've had my unhealthy things with sex too in my life, but it's weird how it just manifests that way. But again, we can't talk about sex. Don't talk about it. That's not, (laughs) not important. It's not a big component of who you are as a person. Well, of course it is. But, you know, sadly, you know, it's not just me. There's a lot of people in the gay community, you know, 2S, LGBTQIA, plus all the letters in the alphabet mafia. You know, I want to represent everybody in the alphabet mafia. I want to be clear on that, too. Even if I don't say it, guys, you're with me in spirit. Okay, there we go. We appreciate you. Yes. But there's a lot of rejection and people stand on the outside and they view us like the people at Lakewood Church did as this hedonistic group of people who are just having all this sex and everything. Well, we don't have anywhere else to go to but each other. Yeah. You know, our parents have kicked us out. A lot of us, our churches have discarded us. So we find each other. And just like I had that father fracture, other gay guys do. So Mm -hmm. is it just that he's a slut or is he trying to fill a void? It's deeper than just how we look. (laughs) And <laughs> what you think we're doing is so much more than that. And that's why women shouldn't be judged either. So what? She's had all the dick. You don't know why she's doing that. Right. It wasn't, wasn't were my choices healthy? No. But another thing, but when you grow up a gay in a house where they want you to be straight, you don't, you're not taught about sex. They don't know what the fucking tell you. Hell, even if you're straight, as I understand it sometimes, and you grew up in a straight house, you're not taught about sex. So my parents never told me anything about sex. One day my dad pulled, he just pulled out some condoms and gave them to me and my brother. I was like, here, use these. That was it. That was a big sex talk. The end. That was so, <laughs> the end. And yeah. the rest of it I learned from Red Shoe Diaries, uh, and HBO, Real Sex through Scrabble Vision. <laughs> and then the rest I learned from gay.com. Yeah. And the guys that I met, as Madonna said, you know, you get your education from your lovers. you do you do so how in the hell could i have had sexual healthy sexual habits when the church didn't teach it 
not not at the level I needed it, and not for someone who's not straight. When my parents didn't teach it, none of my older siblings taught it. So I was the youngest kid sent out there in the world to figure out the birds and the bees, mm-hmm. you know, around a bunch of horny men who were older and more experienced than I am. Right. <laughs> you know, what the fuck do you think's going to happen? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I mean... <laughs> Totally. I mean, you really, you just summed it up very well. And that's why part of the reasons, one of the reasons I've stayed doing this podcast six years, you know, when I just started it, I was like, I'm just going to do it one year. But then people were responding to it. I just kept going and I'm like, you know, this shit's important. I'll stay. As long as I get one download, I'll be there. (laughs) So here I am six years later. And so getting to have guests like you on with these great perspectives and, you know, this experience and also, you know, just the, I love how, again, you know, you're writing a book, you know, you've got your memoirs, which is the book. And then also you have some other, um, you've got some stuff, some videos up. How are those integrated? I know I saw the underwear line, but the other two that I, I saw on your website, I started watching those. How are those fitting in? So what I decided to do was I went to some cities that appear in the memoir and went back to some original places where some things happened. Okay. And so then I'm still in the process of producing the videos because I got caught up with writing and finishing the book. So they'll be dripped out over the course of the year. And so basically the videos are just snapshots from the memoir, like actual places. And I'm kind of walk, talking through what happened here, like in real life. Oh, that's cool. I love that. So what, this is probably a tough question you might have to, or maybe you'll know right off the top of your head. I want to know, since obviously you've had some major sexcapades, what has been the wildest, craziest sexual encounter you can remember or that jumps out at you? The one that that stood out to me the most, I, I went to go meet with this guy. I was high on something or whatever. And he was able to come inside of me like 20 times. It was like... It was the most unreal thing. And it wasn't, he didn't have like some huge sort of dick or anything like that. It was average. But I found sometimes the more average dicks are packing more juice in them than the big ones. Sometimes the big ones don't have a lot to squirt out of them. They just don't. Yeah. You know? And so, I, and I mean, oh my God, we probably fucked for 12 or 12 hours straight because shit like that. And so, because we started his apartment and he took me over to mine. I don't remember how the fuck he, I got over to his place or how we got back over to mine. But I remember that because I didn't understand how he could keep going and going and going and going. I don't understand so it either. Long. And did I have no reason to, to brag about this because, you know, my ass was sore. Well, you're you're not a woman. You would have had like the world's, you would have been in the Guinness Book of World's Records for the worst bladder infection of all times. Like you already would have had kidney stones. It would have advanced that fast. Like, I mean, swear to God. And so then, you know, me being high and horny, whenever I would get that way, there's never too much dick that I can have. I'm like, I want all your friends to come over and everybody else bring all the boys. Okay. I I probably went on an app or something and got some other guy to come over. And then, so I hopped on top of him and rode him until he came and me. And then... Wait, are you (laughs) coming? Are you coming? Did you come 20 times too? Mm -mm. Whenever whenever I would be high, that's like, like, I would have to sober up before I could, but I'm such like a cum slut. Yeah. That I'm more like into getting the guy off. And that, that does quite a lot for me. Yes. <laughs> I know some, I am friends with some cum sluts, just like that. They have same exact same thing. Waste not, want not, honey. Yeah. Well, see, I'm more of like, let's see, four for me, one for you. Four for me, one for you. <laughs> 
but I have a short refractory period and I'm multi-orgasmic and I can just, once they get going, I can, it's like, they just start rolling in easier. It's weird. Like once you get over the hump, then, then you're really cooking. But I think my record's like 15 in one session, but that was probably like a three hour session with someone. And there was a lot of shit going on, like a lot of kink, a lot of fucked up stuff that I love. No wonder why you look so damn young. (laughs) I am young. What do you mean? Look, come on now. I mean, mean, you look like 12. Thank you. To me. Like, that's what I mean. Like, you look (laughs) very, 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 like, like abnormally, like, young, (laughs) you know, and stuff like that, like, girlishly young. Like, I was reading. Oh, listen to you. You are laying it on. Because when I was reading about you before I had you on my show and you were like talking about being with young men and how like what a big deal that was. And I'm looking at your face I'm like going, but bitch, you're young too. I don't get what the... I know. Well, you know what it is? No, you know, it's like I always... So my thing was always like older men. I just like if there was an older, powerful man in the room, I'd be like, mm-hmm. You know, like with a suit, Ugh. like yeah. that's, that was my little daddy thing. Like, I mean, I don't want to see you. I don't want to, right. but just like, I just liked, uh, it's weird how, like, I don't, have, I don't have weird issues with my dad, but he was just a powerful kind of guy. So I was drawn to that. And when I, so when, and, and that came with guys that were older and then they had status and just things like that. And I was drawn to that. So it took me, you know, a long time to break that pattern because I always viewed younger guys as kind of like, what are they going to do for me? Not, I don't mean financially. I just mean like even in bed, I just assumed they would be bad. And then as I go along with my exploration and my bucket list, I get approached by a lot of young guys. And for the longest time, I was like, no, no, no. And then one guy got me to... crack. He got me to crack. And I was like, why not? I'm just going to fuck this guy. I'm going to rock his world. You know, I, I was, I was patting myself on the back. Like I was going to do him a favor. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> he, he fucked my shit up pretty good. So I was really like, what just happened? I literally like had to scamper out of that hotel room. Like <laughs> I, you know, he's like, you can stay the night. I'm like, no, I'm pulling up my pants. My legs are still shaking, you know, I'm from all the orgasms. I'm like, no, I mean, I had to get in the car. I'm like, I had, to, I wanted to get out of there. I needed to think. I had to focus like, what the fuck just happened? Like, what happened? <laughs> it was damn good. There wasn't a dry spot on that bed. So anyway. Yes, I know, that. I know huh? that's right. I said, I know that's right. That's right. And then you just go, Jesus. And now I'm like, fuck with these young ones. Where, where are they learning this shit? Like, damn. Yeah. So now I'm equal opportunity. That's the whole point of that story. If I like you, it's on. Yeah, we can do it. No dick left behind. No dick left behind. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Well, some some dicks left behind, actually. That would be more my motto. Some. Some dicks left behind. You know, because I'm not... It's not... I have to be attracted to you. Maybe you can answer this for me. Do you feel like men are more... Men maybe fall in the more... Gay men maybe no dick left behind philosophy. Whereas I think straight women are more like some dicks are going to get left behind and you just better get, you better be okay with that. Well, we're going to try to work with it as much as we can. That would be like a last resort if it comes down to it, it regrettably so. <laughs> <laughs> the barrier to entry is low. That's what you're saying. If it gets hard, you're going to try to make good use of it. I mean, why not? Because I can't, I don't want to ugly fuck. 
And baby, see, we also don't have to worry about getting pregnant and all the things. That's true. That's true. <laughs> it, it is different. It is, there is this, you know, like it or not, women are more selective because I do believe that because our lizard brains deep down, they were like, I don't think that DNA is, that's going to make some fucked up, ugly looking kids. I don't want that. <laughs> I don't want to be straddled with that or whatever. Like this guy is not, I mean, there's all these weird little, little things, you know, that go into it, but I can't get down with the guy that I'm not attracted to. I call that ugly fucking. I don't want to ugly fuck. Like you got to be... <laughs> Well, the attraction does have to be there, but I don't know. I try to be nicer because I used to be like kind of a bitch about it (laughs) back in the day and stuff like that. And so I I was very into myself. Like even when I was like a drug dealer and stuff like that, I was so shallow and vain. And so (laughs) so, so looking back on it, you know, I'm like, I'm going to be like nicer this time around. Yeah, you're just, you're a little sweeter. (laughs) You're a sweet cocksucker. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little sweeter. I love it. Okay. Tell me about getting your HIV diagnosis and your Hep B diagnosis. Did did that happen at the same time on the same day or was it, did it come trickling out? I think were a few months apart because I had gone to donate blood because I have all negative blood and it's like they make a big deal out of it or whatever. And I lied on the application. Yeah. Are you a man who has sex with man? Of course not. I wouldn't do so. Fuck all that. Bitch, just yeah. take the damn blood. And I've been doing that all my life. But this time they found um, hepatitis B antibodies in my blood. And so they sent me a letter in the mail saying this. And so, so that was kind of fucked up. So, but then, and that really didn't mess with my head because I didn't know what the fuck hepatitis was. I'd never heard of it. Yeah. So I didn't have any sort of preconceived notions or beliefs about it. It was just more like, what is this? And so I wasn't thrilled about it, but I didn't feel like my whole earth had been shattered. Yet I did understand that my body had been invaded. Yeah, And so, and I, and I felt weak and human and I didn't like to feel weak and human. I still was in my twenties and I felt invincible and like I was going to live forever. Right. You know, I, I had not yet come to terms with my mortality. Mm-hmm. That was not something that I believed. You know, I thought I could cheat death, live forever, nothing can hurt me. And so, and here is this thing that I can't just get rid of. I can't take this and get rid of it like I could the gonorrhea and chlamydia. Can't just take a pill, girl. I read that. I read, I well, I, I read part of that where you were just <laughs> stuffing toilet paper in your in your pants because it was coming out gonorrhea and chlamydia, right? You, you And the doctor gave you like the stink eye because you said sometimes use condoms most of the time or something, you know, and he's like, well, that's not good enough. And is that- I, I don't know if you've ever had an STD, but when you go to the doctors, they're not exactly like your best friend about it. They're there to, they, they shame you and all kinds of shit. They're not like, yay, chlamydia, yay, gonorrhea. Come on in here, buddy. They're like, basically you ho, you know what you did. You know, and I'm not yeah. saying every doctor like that. I'm just telling you my experience. Yeah. You know, if, even if they're not judging you, <laughs> if you already feel bad yourself because you know you've been fucked up. And so, <laughs> and so I think that was my first time getting it. And so, and that's why I was all like, oh my God, what the fuck's going on? Yeah. You know, and after that, whenever my dick started burning, I knew just go get the pills, girl. It'll be all right. Just yeah. stock up on the shit, just keep it in the cabinet. <laughs> but, <laughs> Is that what you did? <laughs> Because yeah, I, I think so. Because if the infection went away and I had some extra pills left, then yeah, I did. I did keep them. So, yeah. So here's a true confession. Here's something I'd never talked about on this podcast. I have had an STD, and it was in year one of this podcast, and it was with the guy that I ugly fucked. And <laughs> see, I broke my rule, and I was like, God damn it! And to boot, 
which I never, this is a juicy story. I never included this fact in that podcast. He ended up, I ended up getting an STD from him. And what happened was I broke my rule. I, when I meet somebody new, I have a process. Like I, first we're going to text a little bit. Then I'm going to very quickly, I'm going to give you my number or a burner phone because I want to talk to you. I want to hear your voice. You can tell a lot about someone from their voice and the way they talk and articulate. And then I want to meet you for coffee or a drink or something, you know, someplace, someplace out in public, just so I can see if there's chemistry. And I met this guy online and he had, you know, he, he looked very attractive and, you know, had post all these great pictures and blah, blah, blah. Well, so he said he was a, he also said he was a radiologist. <laughs> so when I show, and so then if I like you, then, you know, let's set up a time to get it on, you know, and, and this way, you know, I just, and then I always tell someone where I'm going, blah, blah, blah. Well, I broke my protocol. I didn't meet with him first. I spoke to him on the phone and he sounded decent enough. He said he was a radiologist. So I might've been a little lulled by that, right? Like, okay, mm-hmm. this guy's, a, you know, he's a doctor. He's not a creeper. And we meet in a, you know, so I just go and meet him in a hotel room. And he, I go in there, he closes the door and kind of grabs me to start kissing me. And before I could really even look at him and he's like, not what he looked like in his pictures, older, not as good looking. Definitely like, I don't know if those were, those were obviously different, you know, of a different time, him of a different time. And he starts kissing me and I'm like, and he's all over me, you know, and I'm like, oh my God, how awkward if I say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I'm not, you don't look, I'm I'm not attracted. Right. And so what I just thought, fuck it. I was like, okay, no dick left behind. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to leave no. I just like, just do it. You know what? Get You can masturbate on his dick, you know, just get yourself off and go. And so we're clothes are coming off. We're making out. And he starts to try to put his dick in me without a condom. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I stop him, you know, but he'd made some contact and he gets a, con- he's like, oh, sorry. You know, like I, I hate when guys do that. It's like, you know, you know what the fuck you're doing. You're just trying to see if I'm going to go, for, if I'm going to let you fuck me without a condom. Didn't matter anyway, because that was enough. I guess, you know, whatever was going on with this penis was enough to infect my beautiful vagina for the first, it was my f- first time ever having a sexually transmitted disease. And I, and uh, he ruined my pristineness. Anyway, so I didn't know what the fuck was going on, right? All of a sudden I'm itching, I'm itching and there's discharge. I'm like, what the fuck? And I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking like, what is this? So I go to the doctor, but no, they were very nice to me. I think they're nicer to women. I didn't feel any weirdness. It wasn't like, are you sleeping with, you know, or, I didn't get any weird questions. Like nobody's asking if I'm gay or what I'm doing. You know, like, it was just like, okay, well, you know, you also need to let your partner know. I think they maybe assumed I was married and maybe it was my husband gave it to me. I don't know. But anyway, so, and then the guy's like circling back around, wants to get back. I'm like, you fucker, you know, no, <laughs> jackass. And then years later, he tried again, you know, just like, you know, they text you like that, like they've got you. Okay. She said, no. Like, did they put me in, does he put me on a reminder in a queue? Like try back in six months, you know, like she said no now, but maybe, maybe next time. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. His did name you was, tell him he, he, his name was John. No, I didn't even know. I, I should have. I know I should have, but I was, I was mortified. It's the first time that had ever happened to me and I'm an adult. Right. And, and so, oh yeah, no, I totally handled it wrong. Totally handled it. I mean, I should have said, Hey, you oh, fuck him anyway. Sex disease passer. (laughs) So anyway, that was my that was my story. Yeah. So it's happened to me. And I was, I mean, like 
you, you got to understand, like, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of uppity, you know? And I'm like, I don't, I'm not the type of woman that gets an STD, you know? So I was really kind of like, I first had to just, my ego had to handle that fact. <laughs> but it doesn't, it doesn't discriminate. <laughs> well, I'm sorry that that happened to you, but I am glad that you joined the ranks. I'm admitting it. Here we go. Right here, right now on my podcast. Yes, it's happened to me. And it, I, w- I mean, thank goodness you just take a pill. I mean, it could have been worse, right? I mean, it, it could have been, it could it just it could have been worse. I could have been sterile. You know, I mean, there could have been th- other things. There's other things that can happen. So, yeah. yeah so, so then- I'm sorry, I interrupted you, right? As I were getting to when you, cutting you off here. Sorry. <laughs> no, this is a free flow show, girl. So All right. There is nothing to apologize for. Let the Lord use you. Thank you. He just used me right there. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) And I was seeing a doctor. He was, I don't know, he was a fucking dick. He was like a real asshole. And so during these days, I'm not like how I am now, where I'll be like, you know what? If the doctor, you're getting weird vibes, they're not, they don't like what they're telling you, go somewhere else. You know, I was trying to make it all work. And so he's like wanting to give me all these crazy shots for, you know, for the hepatitis and all these weird treatments. But at least he was thorough enough to check my blood for anything else. So a smart doctor, what they would do when somebody comes to them who's clearly highly promiscuous, you know, run a panel for everything. That's how other doctors have found, like when I've had syphilis a couple of times, you know, they're like, okay, this person's a a strung out injection drug using junkie. We might as well check for everything. And that's how they stumbled upon like syphilis one time. Yeah. So he stumbled upon the HIV, but he didn't tell my primary care doctor. My primary, this is a liver specialist. Since hepatitis is a liver disease, they refer you to a liver specialist. Right. But he should have told my primary care doctor and let my primary care doctor tell me that I have HIV you know, or let the infectious disease doctor, you know, some fucking body else, you know, because he's not an AIDS doctor, you know, right. he's an hepatitis doctor. Now his office is only open Monday through Thursday. And to my knowledge, they didn't have another location elsewhere because whenever I tried to get an appointment, it had to be Monday through Thursday. There was no alternative, or you can go to this office on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, Friday, Saturday. And so this New Year's Eve was a Saturday, December 31st, 2011. Mm-hmm. I'm getting all these calls from him. And I'm like, what the fuck? You know, you're supposed to be at work. Period on any Saturday, let alone New Year's Eve. Oh, so yeah. right, so right then and there, that's setting off alarms. And I had been up there trying to find out those test results. That I had that bad feeling, you know, like some shit was about to go down. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I got my drugs ready. You know, I'm going out for the night. So, but I was like, let me just check this fucking voicemail. I don't want to be a coward. Let me just must muscle the string. And what the fuck did I do that for? I wish I'd have just like because it was nagging at the back of my head, and I couldn't fucking enjoy the New Year's Eve like I wanted to because he had left this fucking voicemail yeah so voicemail he's all like yeah you got hiv don't be out there spreading this shit around other people and you know coming to the office you know whatever you can and so i have learned that experience taught me the importance of delivering negative news to somebody in a caring way because the way the news is delivered has a lot to do with how that person receives and responds to it so in a healthy medical environment what you do is you bring the patient in you have the mental health person there, the doctor, the nurse. You have all the options already out on the table and you explain everything to the patient in clinic. Yeah. What you don't do is leave a voicemail. 
and don't tell them anything about how they, what they could do to help themselves, but make them sound like a disease person who's out there wrecking the whole world with their whorish ways. Yeah. Because you don't know how that person's going to react. I never did go to the doctor because they, then they started talking about infectious disease. I'm like, why the fuck would they call it the doctor for the infectious disease? That just made it sound worse. And so I just didn't even want to go and I never did. Yeah. And so I just started drawing all my own conclusions about what I thought was going to happen based on what I had seen happen to other people, which I knew people who had died from AIDS. You know, in Houston and Montrose during that time, it was not, it wasn't like so uncommon for me to walk into a club and be like, hey, have you seen Johnny or whoever? And I'm like, no, he had AIDS, he's dead. Oh, you know, God. like it was still happening 10 years ago. And so and I know people are like, oh, you just take some medicine, you can fix it. Like, it's not that simple. Like once you're, our, our minds have already been mind fucked by all the negative publicity that's around HIV from yeah. all the starving, starving people they show you in Africa to all the bad all the all, all the documentaries where they show you how the disease wrecks people's body, all of that stuff imprints upon us. Yeah. So then when you get a disease like that, everything you've ever been exposed to negatively comes rushing back on you all at once. That must be combated with new and updated and more positive information. And you can't do that if you leave it on someone's voicemail. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> <and> so, <laughs> totally. I, I hope they don't, I hope nobody's... Uh, let's assume that it's not being handled that way anymore, hopefully. You know, each doctor's different. I interviewed somebody who said she got her cancer diagnosis that way. They just left it. They, they just, it was over the phone, you know. <laughs> you, <laughs> some doctors are just going to be dicks, man. Yeah. Do you think that gay men, do you think that your health care is treated differently or it was back then maybe? I mean, do you, have you seen an evolution in the, I guess, just the... I don't want to say standard of care, but just even the empathy or the... My doctors never judged me. My primary care doctor team never judged me, but they were not thorough enough. So if you got somebody who you know is not straight and who's fucking around all the time and they knew that I was, then you need to check for everything. Just just checking for, hell, just chlamydia and gonorrhea and HIV when you do the, the drug screen is not enough. In the gay world, you got to check for syphilis because syphilis and hepatitis C are a really big fucking deal. They should check for it all. I'm like, you're already drawing the blood. You already got the insurance. It's already paid for, bitch. Why not order this extra fucking test? You don't, they don't go far enough. So therefore they miss a lot of things. Well, I've heard, I don't know if this is true, but I've heard that with different providers, they're incentivized to not overbill. If they have the option to not overbill and they do that throughout the year, then they get a kickback from that provider for not automatically pulling maybe as many tests or ones that would just kind of naturally coincide with, if you get a positive result with this, you should test for these other things. Or if you have a, a patient population that, you know, this is this is their background, then really you should pull all these tests, not just half of them. But I could believe I've, that. I've heard That's that. Not- I've heard that more than once. And I wouldn't doubt it. You know, I just think this is business. And unfortunately, I think uh, for-profit healthcare is an oxymoron. You really can't provide the best care when you're trying to pinch, you know, when you're worried about the bottom line. I mean, it's just my, it's just my opinion on it, but okay. Now I saw that you also had Sean from Tough Titties on your show. Yeah. (laughs) She's, She's fun. And you guys were talking about the cut versus uncut conundrum. <laughs> and I want to know what the conundrum is exactly. And do you have a preference? The conundrum, now I have an uncut dig. 
The conundrum is based on a lot of insecurity and meanness and vileness, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And it's a big deal, especially in the gay world, because gay guys will be like, oh my God, I'm totally not having sex with him. His dick is uncut. I can't fuck with that. Or vice versa, Uh or whatever the case may be. Bitches like me, and I'm sure like you too, he's like, does it work? Okay, well, then we can take it from there. Whether the fucking little hood is on there or not has nothing to do with the strength of an erection or what he can do with it. Like, completely um, cosmetic and superficial. But some people will completely reject and shut a guy down if he has an uncut dick. And it has created a lot of insecurity in men. Sexually, performance is fine. But now he's now he's worried about if his dick is pretty enough because some shallow-ass bitch discarded him because it wasn't pretty. Yeah. And though that bitch was stupid, you can just come over here to me, boy. I don't care yeah. if it's utter uncut. But it was it was worth bringing up in my show because it's that big of a deal. You got guys out there who are like getting really like depressed over that. Really? They I, do. You know, it's, well, so here's an interesting <laughs> fact. On this year's sex bucket list is I want to fuck a guy with an uncut dick. And I am hard pressed to find one. Everybody's like, I can't find, I'm just not running across guys. And I'm like, it's, I want to experience it. I've never had it, you know, I've never thought one way or the other about it. And I've, it just dawned on me. I'm like, you know what? I've never fucked a guy that was uncut and I want to, I'm like, if there's more in there, like inside me moving around, that just sounds good to me. Yeah, the extra skin could could certainly add it more might, stimulation. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I don't know. But the thing is, the stupidity of it all, though, is when they get hard, though, usually they look uncut. That, like, there's usually not enough skin there to still cover it. Not that's my impression. That's my impression. Not, yeah. Not all the time, though. Some of them got plenty of skin, and once he's hard, it's still hooded. You know, each one is different. Yeah. So we need to start fucking with, like, a lot of Latinos, island guys, you know, and stuff like that. I'm not saying it's going to be hard for you to find, like, say, like a white dude who's uncut. <laughs> it's going to be difficult. It, I know. It, I'm not. This is no joke. Like, there's a scarcity. Because it's a, it's a social thing. I mean, like, white people are just, they have a boy. They're like, oh, you know, he's getting a circumcision. It's like automatic. You know, I think at some point, like, just most people did it. And then certain, you know, religious Jewish, you know, it's part of the Jewish tradition. So you're going to get, you know, you're going to get circumcised. But the cultures are different. Like, say, in the islands, in the Caribbean, you know, in the Latin American countries, they don't do that so much. But the Catholics, you're getting cut if you're Catholic for the most part. Oh, fuck Catholicism. That's like... (laughs) <laughs> this is like one of the stupidest fucking religions. Hey, I just have I'm to I like, I like it. To the extent that I know, because I know I read all about your master when you were watching your masturbation porn that, you know, during um, the All Saints Day. But oh, I had my, yep, yep, yep. No, I was right. I wrote that story. Of, yeah. In terms of like the rules and stuff that they have and, you know, the whole uncut thing or saying if someone commits suicide, then they'd have to go to hell. It just seems like they make up a lot of shit that's not in the Bible. And I don't For know sure. where they got it from. For so from, from that respect is why I say I feel like it's a stupid religion because I'm all like, where are all these rules coming from? And, you know, and all of this. Now, if somebody can ever tell me that's where that came from, but I read through the Bible and it's not there. So that means it came from man. Yeah. And so, and so that's where I'm coming from with it. Yeah. But it, it's, it's structured. It's organized. Hell, they're, they're like the fucking mafia, bitch. They got a hell of a lot of money. Yeah, they do. <laughs> 
You know, been and so around a long time, and they're not going anywhere. Right, and I'm not trying to get rid of them. No, you know, yeah, I don't no, want. I, I don't want them sending the fucking hit team out to get me. <laughs> That's right. I saw the Da Vinci Code. I know. It's <laughs> <laughs> on the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> but I've been to Catholic churches. I've not, I never thought I would kneel more than sucking dick before, but I did when I went to. The up down, church. up down, up down. Did you and not so, get? Did you not get enough work, workout? Like, no, yeah. it was a fucking workout. So, I mean, I'm not. You know, it doesn't work for me. That's how I feel about it. Yeah, for you know, sure. I know a lot of re- retired Catholics who now hate it, but I still hang out with people if they're Catholics. I don't care. I think my take on all of, you know, the religion, and it's like, it's just bad apples in every bunch. I mean, I don't know. There's just bad apples in every bunch. And you got to do your best to read, actually do the reading so you know when someone's bullshitting you and be able to stand up for yourself and speak intelligently about it. And also just follow your heart a little bit. And as with most things in life, you know, I mean, does this make sense? Does Are we talking about this, a God that says, pre, you know, has these basic principles, really it's the golden rule, do unto others, but not those others, not those people. And this, you know, and this is wrong and that's wrong. You know, at some point you have to, you got to use a little common sense is what I think. True. And I preach a lot of spiritual independence in all of my different mediums. But any religion that is not open-minded to all people to the, is one that I would also classify as stupid or I don't mm-hmm. like being Pentecostal, Baptist, yeah. whatever. So if, so if all the gay people can't go there and under and be told that your life is fine and there's nothing wrong with you, then fuck that religion. Yeah. You know, because, because, and, and many of our straight allies have parted ways with your Catholic church and different religions like that, not because of anything they disagreed with other than the fact that they have an adverse take on the way they deal with people who aren't straight. Yeah. I'm going to jump ahead because I had this question in here, but I think it's a good time to bring it up. I was, and I didn't write the guy's name down. I should have gone back and pulled it up before we got on, but I came across a guy who has a podcast like us and he or tries to get on podcast shows. And his whole thing was, he says that, you know, he was gay and that the church helped him reformed his gayness. And now he's living a life according to Christ and so he tries to get on people's shows and talk about that. Now, he's not trying to come on my show, of course, because that would just be foolish. But, <laughs> but when I read his whole thing, and I was just like, what do you think about that? I just think you are inclined the way you are inclined. And I don't think, and there's nothing wrong with you. It's just who you are. Like, you, I don't, this pray the gay away thing, like, and what they try to give you at Lakewood. What do you say to that? What do you think about all that? I would say it would also be very, very foolish of him to ever try to come on my show. (laughs) (laughs) He'd do better to just go jump off a fucking cliff because he would get destroyed. Because I, okay, here's the thing. And there was a documentary on Netflix called Pray Away. And I recommend it to everyone. Yes. They they chronicle, there used to be an organization that existed here in the United States, which had global reach called Exodus. And they were the big conversion therapy group. And now on this documentary, the people who used to lead that group and all the people who were leading it were supposedly formerly not straight, converted, married, kids, all that. And now they're like, hey, never mind. That was bullshit. We're still gay. And that, that whole organization was bullshit too. And now I'm saying that very quickly, but that organization was around for a long time. They made a lot of money and they fucked up a lot of people's lives. Yeah. And that's why they felt like they needed to come back and do this manifesto and disavow it all because they people committed suicide and all kinds of shit over this whole conversion therapy movement. So what made me want to write this book 
I, well, I've always wanted to write a book. You know, when you, I came up, you know, in the churches and everything, when I started getting the mega churches, it seemed like everybody was a fucking author. You know, it seemed like a prestigious thing. Yeah. And just like most people who write books, I wanted to, uh, I sat down and tried to write one with me, giving advice on how to do some shit or whatever. I never thought the book that I would write would be about the bullshit that I had gone through because I had not known catastrophe. And so this is the right thing to do. Now that I've written this book this way and I tried my best to be transparent in it, I'm happy to, I'm going to be happy to send you the finished, finished copy here that I've completed in the next couple of days. You know, I noticed, girl, that the preachers and shit who I used to look up to and admire, emphasize used to look up and admire. I don't give a fuck about them anymore. And I got all their books and everything and read them. You know, they really didn't talk a lot about themselves. They barely, you know, would put a little bit of something personal in there. But usually it's just them telling other people what to do. Right. They really didn't tell us about them. And I feel like I'm justified in my platform because of the way that I put myself out there with all of my dirty laundry, dirty drawers, cum falling out of my asshole and everything like that. You know. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I feel like I'm justified to give a bitch a piece of advice because I don't mind self-deprecating myself to the nth degree in order to feel justified to do so. But it's the right thing to do. You don't get to get delivered from the shit that I was and almost get killed and die like that and be in and out of jail, not taking medicine, down 127 pounds, walking around the streets, homeless and everything like that, and still live. So clearly God kept me here for a reason. What is that reason? Not to sit down and be quiet. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be like Jonah, called to go do something, trying to run from God, got his ass followed up by a well. Clearly... Because anybody else doing the dumb shit I was doing would have been dead. So why did God leave me here to tell it? What's the best way I can tell it? Put it in a book. Yeah. How long did it take you to write? I started taking notes in 2013. So we're going on 10 years from the time I started it. We actually put pin the outline together over two years, about two years ago. Memoirs, as I understand it, from my author friends, take longer to write than fiction. So mm-hmm. whenever you're, you would think, like I thought, oh, I'm talking about myself. This is going right. to be a really big term paper or some shit like that. Uh-uh. It takes forever to write yeah. about yourself because then you get real picky and granular about the details. And the mm-hmm. shit's got to be, you know, and everything like that. I've edited this bitch like 10 fucking times. Oh, and it's not short. Her. No, it it's isn't. It's two. It's really two books in one. And I, and I told with the concept of doing two books, but I didn't want to put myself through because every time... I'm going back through it. I'm reliving it all again and again and again, which I'm happy doing because I just get more healed every time. But it's not my personality. I'm like, look, if I'm going to serve some shit up to some motherfucking people, I'm going to serve up the whole thing. I'm not going to tease them with it. Right. So what we're going to do is put all the shit out there all at once. And we just don't, we just going to do it. You're not going to JK Rowling's that shit. <laughs> no, there will be no <laughs> Deathly Hollows 1 and 2. No. <laughs> so we're just going to do it one huge-ass fucking book. There you go. And granted, it's about it's over 120,000 words. It's like a war and peace. You know, it is what it is. I don't, I feel like it's a fast read, though. You know, it goes from one piece of drama to the next. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like it's a slow read at all. No, no not at all. And so, and so but the shit, this is after we cut out so much more drama. <laughs> we, we we did reduce the book. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that may not seem like it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you have, I want to ask you, did you, in fact, give a senator a blowjob? 
I cannot confirm that he was a senator, but the first time, because I don't know, I was young and, you know, a young, squirrely teenage kid. And I wasn't raised, you know, in a black household in Southern Louisiana in the hood where I grew up. We didn't talk about politics. Uh And I didn't know that the Pentagon barracks, which is a real place here in Baton Rouge, right by our state capital, downtown by the Mississippi River. I didn't know that that was where politicians stayed. I just thought it was a fucking, I I, I was so inexperienced in life. I was a country ass kid on gay.com looking for a dick to suck. I had never sucked one before. Yeah. So he told me to go to Holiday Inn and went to Holiday Inn. It just happened to be there. And so, <laughs> so there's no way it couldn't have been because regular people cannot stay at that hotel. You have to be a part of the legislature in order to stay yeah. there. So, <laughs> but that didn't even occur to me till like years later when I was a grown up and I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. I didn't know I am God. <laughs> That is crazy. And then tell me about Spikey. Is it Mickey or Mikey? Spikey Mikey. Spikey Mikey. So, yeah, so so Spikey Mikey was the username for the guy who I I lost my virginity to. And I really don't consider virginity to be a loss. It's like more of a transition. I hate the way it's branded. Like when you have sex for the first time, like you're losing something, Mm -hmm. like you're losing purity. No, we were made to be sexual. You're blossoming. You know, you're joining the adult ranks in a way. I don't like to look at it as like, oh my God, I lost something. That's interesting. I've never thought of it that way, but I like that. I like that sentiment. But I didn't think about that way till I finished my hypnotherapy training because I learned about how much we, our expectations of stuff and the way we perceive it impact the experience we have with it. (laughs) So if we think losing virginity has to be a bad thing, then when we lose it, then it is a bad thing. But if we don't, think it's a bad thing. If we don't think losing it is a bad thing and we think it's a phenomenal thing, then when we lose it, we will feel empowered. Right. It's all about how you perceive shit. Yes. <laughs> so, okay, so Mikey, Mikey. Mikey, Mikey. Yeah, I was just tired of being a virgin. You know, it wasn't some ceremonial thing. It wasn't meaningful. And I'm not the first guy, especially not gay guy to have had this. You know, like this virgin shit is just lame. I can't keep up with the conversation. It's time for me to get relevant. So yeah. let's find a dick. This was an arrangement. This was a transaction. Seeking you know. arrangement. Yeah. So stick it in. Boom. Done. Gay. Not a virgin anymore. Let's move on. Yes. And <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it, it hurt like a bitch. You know, he was nice and everything. And he was, he didn't have no big old dick, you know, nothing like that. It was short. It was little. And I was thankful, you know, because it burned <laughs> like, it burned like a fucking volcano back Did he there. have enough lube? Did he use enough lube? I'm sure that he did, but it was my first time. I didn't even know yeah. anything about lube or how much you're supposed to use or that you had water and silicone and different kinds. I didn't yeah. know anything at all about anything. Yeah. <laughs> you were what, 19? Yeah, I was 19. I didn't yeah. know shit. I mean, I go down to the corner store and got some toys and I don't even think that I knew to put lube on those. I didn't know anything about douching. I didn't know about enemas. Yeah. I was just... I'm just out here blind. Just, I'm, it. I'm just horny and I need dick. Someone tell me what to do. Yeah. <laughs> and Spikey Mikey did. <laughs> I, love I love reading the names. And I love when you're like, I didn't even know. And it's, it's so funny. I did not know is, that there was a website called gay.com. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. I'm like, oh, well, that makes sense. He's on gay.com meeting up with these guys. But let me paint a picture of just how determined I had to be. There was no smartphones. We still had flip phones and pagers back in the day. Yeah. So I couldn't just like type in an address in my phone. I had to 
going, use the DSL dial up plugged into my laptop because there was no Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Okay. Talk to the guys, make the arrangements, print out the address on MapQuest, take that in the car. <laughs> You know, I had to be you. I was a determined hoe. You That's right. Hoes these days got it easy, yeah. man. I had to Everything's work for automated. that dick. Yeah. I had to fucking work for that dick. There you <laughs> go. And you did. You obviously <laughs> wanted it. I needed it. Oh my gosh. And so, okay, were you just basically at that point just giving blowjobs? I started with the blowjob on the senator. Then I decided to, no, once I started taking dick, no, I started taking all the dick. The floodgates were open. My legs were open and I haven't closed them since. Yeah, that was, there was no, <laughs> there was no turning back on that one. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. how do you, I guess this is an, inter- this is something I've never asked a gay man. How do you know, like how, whether you're a top or a bottom, do you, is it just more like you're just inclined one way or the other or you are a switch it's, with it or? A lot of people switch and go both ways. Mm-hmm. That's more common than finding a person who is strictly one way or the other, although you do have it all. But it's an inclination now, and it derives, it's no different than if you had like a guy and a girl. Some people feel more dominant on the inside, mm-hmm. you know, and those are going to be your top. Some people like me feel more submissive on the inside, and those are going to be people who, who want to bottom more often. And then it's, I guess physically in your body where you feel like your nature you know, I feel sexual around my asshole a lot, or I want things to go inside of it. You know, a top is he's going to feel more sexual in his dick. Maybe one day you might get to touch his asshole, may not. You know, I don't know. I wouldn't try that. <laughs> you, know, you might get angry, but, yeah. you know, they're not, they're not, you know, but it's more of an inclination, more of a knowing. You just kind of lean one way or the other. You just kind of know yourself. Yeah. But yeah. you know where you want to be dominant, dominated, or you want to get dominated. You know, if you want to be the dominator, you know that mm-hmm. shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, it's interesting because maybe it's just, maybe, maybe it's more instinctual for men. But for me, it took me a while to realize that I was submissive. And that's why all these relationships I was having with guys that weren't really dominant enough, like why I didn't. They were all good guys. They checked all the boxes, but sexually it just wasn't that, it just wasn't that fucking great. And I'm like, and I like sex, you know, and I'm like, well, what, what's going on here? Like, and I just kind of thought, well, I don't know, maybe this is as good as it gets. I, I don't, you know, until I figured out like, oh, you're just, you are just drawing all the wrong guys to you because you're not in touch with the fact that you are submissive, even because you think you're one way outside of the bedroom. And you are, but in the bedroom, you want a man to be a man. And you're not turned on as much by a man that doesn't want to do that. Well, you know, life's a journey. And we, and that's subject to change. You know, you could be that way now in 10, 15 years from now, you may flip the switch. You never know. Yeah. It's all about understanding how you are and learning how to listen to yourself. Now, outside of the bedroom, I'm very dominant. You know, I can't run all these businesses and not be. I'm very fucking right. decisive. You don't know what I want done. I know when the fuck I want it done. I and mean, shit better be done. There's going to be some consequences and repercussions. I'm the same way. <laughs> but in the bedroom, I'm like, oh my God, tie me up and spank me. <laughs> totally. Like, I don't want to think about it. That's your job. You did the heavy lifting. Right. But that's only, you know, in the bedroom, you know, outside of there, I'm not trying to too much be told what the fuck to do. No, exactly. <laughs> I only like to be told what to do in the bedroom. That's what right. I said. Like, <laughs> and only by the right guy, you know, <laughs> not by everybody. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That reminds me of another Madonna quote. Surely whoever speaks to me in the right voice, him or her, I will follow. 
It's yes. No. <laughs> That's so true. Oh my gosh. Okay. What has been like so far your best sexual experience and your worst? My best. I would probably say probably all the sex that I've had with my current boyfriend over the years because it's actually had some fucking meaning behind it. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's because, you know, it's just it's different. I found to have a sex with somebody who really cares and the way you're able to get on like a mental and spiritual, emotional and not just physical level enhances, you know, you're feeding all the senses in a very holistic way. And it's it's like the full, full course, five star, six diamond experience, whereas like a random hookup is more like a happy meal. Yeah. You know, they're both tasty, yeah. but one, one definitely better for you than the other. That's true. <laughs> That's true. No, I could, I totally agree. I mean, I, in doing my sexual experimenting, I mean, I can fuck you without feeling one jet, one thing for you. And it's about the sex. Or, but, but it's so much better when it is with someone, you know, if you can, if you can combine the great sex with the intimacy and the love and care for some, for really for that person, holy shit, it's just like whole nother level. And I don't want to kick one out because they're both, they're all great experience. You know, they're all great things to have in your life. I just like to have them all around, I guess. Like, you know, I think you can be in a great relationship with someone and still maybe have an open relationship. And that person's your primary. You love them and you're having great, amazing sex. But, you know, every once in a while, you want the happy meal. Right. And my my research and my theorizing on that is still evolving. And even with the partner I have, we've had our shared experiences with other guys and stuff like that because I like to be open-minded too. But I don't know... I'm curious in researching like the harm that we do to ourselves whenever we have what we might classify as meaningless sex, because sex is not when you have it, you can the emotional and spiritual connection is there. You can't you can't take that away because, you know, we didn't create sex. God created sex and everything that he created has some sort of spiritual element to it. But what you can do is you can cut yourself off from the realization that it's there. Like you said that you're you were you, you could have sex with somebody, not have feelings for them. Well, you have to stupefy those feelings. You have to not let them manifest. You have to. In, in the sense, I guess maybe I can clarify on that in the sense that I don't want like I appreciate them for who they are in the moment. And I, there's something about them I genuinely like. Right. I wouldn't, I have to like, some, I, have to, there, I have to find something redeeming about you if I'm going to get naked with you. But that doesn't mean I want to go skipping off into the sunset with them or you're coming home to meet my family. Like it's, it is, it, I, it is more casual. And maybe right. you're right. Maybe there's a mechanism that involves voluntarily shutting off some stuff. I always kind of took it as this is just how I connect with them because I I don't feel like you're meant to have this great super special connection with everybody. I can get that more than what I what I was thinking you were saying. What you're saying is it's meaningful for the moment for what it is, but it's not going to materialize into a marriage for the next seven years. Yeah, I'm and I'm okay with that. Like everybody yeah. have to be the one. Yeah, there's. I think that I think that that might be. I mean, that's better than what I was thinking you were saying. Like I said, I'm still researching <laughs> no, this it. this is shallow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because whenever I meet people, they're like, yeah, I just fuck these people. I don't give a shit about them. I just want their dick or whatever. You know, I'm all like, that's a little cold. Oh, no, no, I don't. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't feel like that. I just mean like, I like 
with my casual, when I say like friends with benefits, I say it's emphasis on the friends. Like this is, this has to be somebody that I genuinely enjoy. Like we're not just like, we'll go do stuff and then we'll have sex. We just enjoy each other, but it, it's just not going into a certain area. And sometimes you think that and then, and it does evolve. But I have to say that I've been pretty spot on where most of the time it doesn't. And I, cause I just think that's okay. You know, it's okay that not everybody's intended to be that super special one with that high level of connection. And that's what makes that person so great when you do find them is because it's rare, but it's fucking awesome. Right. I concur. And I'm not here to judge anybody. I don't know. Like I said, I'm still thinking about like, you know, how we help ourselves and hurt ourselves through these sexual experiences. It's something that I'm fascinated with. It's something that I'm still studying up on. But let me see the the worst one. Probably the occasions where I thought I was going to get dick and <laughs> either I was tricked and, you know, he was a bottle, an undercover bottom posing as a top, which does happen. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> undercover bottom posing as a top. Uh-oh. You find them out there yeah. and you're thinking you're going to get all this dick and you get them home and then their legs go up in the air first. And so <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> And there was times where the guy was a top, but then his dick was not functioning. Uh-huh. There was this one guy, I, I, he was just smiling all great and nice and everything. And I played all the games and everything I had to do to get him home from the bar. And he had a nice size, juicy, thick one. And I couldn't get it to work no matter what I put out of my bag of tricks. And then what's worse, those pretty, his pretty smile was, was fake and his false teeth fell out in the middle. <laughs> no! <laughs> Well, isn't that, but then if he wanted to suck your dick, didn't that feel better? Uh, No, no, we're not gumming it, girl. (laughs) We're not gumming it. But his phone fell out right in the middle of me trying to suck his, and it was just like... Oh, my God. (laughs) What did you do? What did you say? What did he say? (laughs) He smiled sheepishly and very, because he knew... But he felt like his teeth was his best attribute, and this, this and this explained why he was just smiling like a like a Cheshire cat all How night. How old was he? Okay, I was in my mid twenties. He had to be in his little, like late twenties or mid thirties. He wasn't like 70, 80. You know what happened know. to his teeth? Too much meth. <laughs> no. <laughs> anything i was just quiet and we just kind of laid there let him spend the night because it was like god what time in the morning we were probably drunk was he white he was latino or mixed something like that Mm -mm. okay because you said that the meth gets the gets the white people with white or gets white people i didn't say them exclusively i just said from what i've seen it seems to do that to them a lot more than others but i'm sure it happens to other people but and in the documentaries that I've watched, it seems like it's the white people missing their teeth from the meth, but <laughs> no, I'm not you know, about to say Now that I think about it, like every time you show a meth head, there's some they're white and they they're missing their teeth or their teeth are all fucked up. But that's that's not that's that's not the actual that's not the telling of the whole story. Lots of Latino people, for instance, do meth. Some of the best meth you can get comes from Asian people, you know. And here, <laughs> black people sell all the fucking meth in Baton Rouge. So, so it's like, is that the meth capital? <laughs> The whole world is in the meth capital. Like, yeah. it's like fucking everywhere. Even the most obscure places. That's probably where they're cooking the shit. <laughs> you know, I just have to, I want to say this. What's really strange to me is that I'm sure I've been around it. I just, it flew right over my head or I didn't know. I mean, the only time I've been around 
like where I knew drugs were present was, you know, I'd get offered cocaine or something from time to time. And I remember like when I was younger, I'd be like, no, like, do I look like I would take, yeah, I would do that shit. You know, like I would be offended. Like you just offered me drugs. (laughs) I'm like, if it's not, you know, like mushrooms or (laughs) that's been the (laughs) pot and mushrooms have been the extent of my experimentation. And it's just like, where is it? Like, I mean, like who has it? Like, I just don't ever, like, I feel like I very seldom have, and certainly never like meth. Like where? Well, honey, that's why it's called the criminal underworld. (laughs) It exists in the shadow and you- That's why it's called the criminal underworld. Before I started doing drugs, I was probably by it right around me too. And I didn't know. Yeah. You know, looking back on it, I could probably put two and two together and see instances where I probably were around people in situations that were- that, that were the sort of people who would use drugs, but it's like, it's not the sort of thing you look for until you've been touched. It's like, you have to be pulled out of the matrix or like a witch has to touch your forehead. Pulled and open the matrix, mind. Yeah. You know, and now you see clearly and you see all the things that were there before that you could not see. Yeah, totally. Okay. That makes sense. So at this point, what do you believe about your faith and your sexuality and just any words of advice for anyone struggling with these issues? I accept myself fully as being sexually fluid. You know, I've been with girls before. I've been with guys, you know, it's whatever. I don't care for the labels at all anymore because labels have too much stigma and negativity attached to them. So just fuck them all. As the Lord told Moses in the, I think the book of Exodus, when Moses was at, at the burning bush and he asked the Lord who he was, the Lord told him, look, bitch, I am, I am that I am. Don't, don't, it's, it's all you need to know. Fuck all these labels, Moses. Yeah. Don't, don't try to do me like that, Mo. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> that's my interpretation of what I heard God say. You've got to hear it. For yourself. Yeah, so. I like that. I love that. You put a modest spin on it. Don't do me oh. like that, Mo. <laughs> Don't be a homo. You can be a homo, but not a hoe. Yeah, Mo. there we go. You can be a homo, not a <laughs> And so, but now I just started fully accepting myself, maybe like last year. My podcast and writing this book has been two of the most powerful healing factors. So I believe in journaling for healing and and telling your story for healing because that's what helped me over the hump to just finally fucking accept myself. It took me years to get the voices of the past out of my head. Yeah. It takes some undoing. And so spiritually... I don't go to physical churches. I like to, I believe that even if someone does go to physical churches, there is community there. If you like that sort of thing, fine, cute, do what you do. But it, but your most important time is your alone time with God and your church time is your accessory time. He's the main course. Your church is your happy meal. <laughs> there we <laughs> go. Know? So I would say people don't worship pastors, don't worship churches, don't worship, don't worship religious doctrine. Even if you think you don't, you might be, you know. Yeah, yeah. If you examine your time and you've only spent like a second alone with God and all of your time is spent at church or with church people, then your priorities are not aligned. Like you should be spending more time alone doing your Bible study and your praying and your fasting and whatever, cultivating that relationship with God more than cultivating it with your church. And like you were saying earlier, fact check everything a pastor tells you. Don't look at that pastor like they just know everything and everything that comes out of their mouth is the truth. Don't be spiritually lazy, just like you just want it to be spoon fed to you. It takes it takes <laughs> it takes work to cultivate it. Right. And I get people who are just starting out may need that help from the pastor in the church community. Cool. But mm-hmm. the end goal should be to get to a point where you don't feel like you need them anymore. You'll pick them up if you want to, but they're they're a plus but not a must. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Okay, well, tell everyone where they can find you. 
I keep everything simple. Sex, drugs, and Jesus.com for the books and the podcast. Downunderapparel.com if you want some kinky lingerie and sportswear and, and shit like that for you and your lover. And yeah, that's it. Just sexdrugsandjesus.com and downunderapparel.com. Is, down, is it down under apparel? Is it all for men? Mm-mm. It's oh, women too. Women. Oh, good. Oh, I'll check that. I didn't know that because when I when I saw the little clip you had there for the uh, the YouTube clip it, on your website, it was just the guys, you know, it's stuck on the guys frame. So I thought, oh, it's just men. Right. Well, I think I have like seven brands for women and damn near probably like 20 or 30 for guys because that's just the way it is. Yeah. And I don't know the way we did the video. That's just kind of the way that that panned out. But no, it started out. It started out just for men, but no, there's stuff for women too. And couples do a lot of shopping on there. We even have a a lacy feminine lingerie for men too. For when the tough masculine guys want to do some cross dressing, where there's lace things for them now. So he doesn't have to wear yours, girls. He can buy his own. There we go. Sense it'll probably fit you better. Yeah, fit you in all the right places. All right. Well, guys, that wraps up another Saturday. You know where you can find me. You can go to thecuriousgirldiaries.com. And my favorite way to hear, get feedback from you guys is for you to leave me a voicemail. And if you go to thecuriousgirldiaries.com, click on the pink tab on the right-hand side and let it rip. You got five minutes. I will get back to you personally. And if you'd like to leave a message or a comment or any kind of feedback for Devannon, you can do that. And I will make sure that he gets the voicemail. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Stay happy. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Love you guys. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. And if you like what you hear, refer me to a friend. And make sure you're following me on social media. Also, go to the website, thecuriousgirldiaries.com. And join my subscribers only list for access to exclusive content. And as usual, questions or comments, you can always email me at curiousgirl at thecuriousgirldiaries.com.